0: I'm telling you, Jim Steinman is like has basically created the soundtrack to Hannibal before Hannibal was even Yep.
1: I have know, to say
0: <laughs> Shine in the know, eye.
1: Speaking of Paradise for <laughs> the Dashboard Light because, you know, after Amy love died, I had to listen to it. I had not heard it in years. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it's a great song. It's an amazing song. <laughs> did you know that the woman who sings with him is the actress who replaced Markie Post on Night Court. Oh, really? That's yeah. crazy. I
0: did wow. not know that.
1: Yeah. I didn't know. It's, it's, I don't know if I watched
0: that far into Night Court to
2: After see Markie, Markie Post's Post replacement.
1: Yeah, what? she leaves and gets replaced.
2: Should hmm. Night Court be our next retrospective?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands. An in-depth, episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. But we are not previewing an episode today. This is our Season 2 Breakdown. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. As always, I am joined by the lovely illustrator, graphic designer extraordinaire, Lisa K. Weber, Hello. Hello. Uh, Next, we have humorist, seer of the stars, both astrologically and Hollywoodically, Kelly Sue Milano.
2: It's true. Hello. Hollywoodically?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a writer. I can create words. Shakespeare, baby. (laughs) Uh, Next, we have our producer and creative jack of all trades, Philip Kelly. Hi. I almost said Philip J. Kelly, just because it felt like what your middle initial should be, but I have no idea. Oh, wow. Wow. That is Um, interesting. Lastly, we have geeky crafter, apocalypsian icon, and, you know, lover of all things astronomical, Claire Thorne.
3: That's me. Hello, everyone. Perfect.
1: Um, Typically at this point, we would have a brilliantly witty recap of the episode. Uh, written by our very only uh, Kelly Sue Milano. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys are a Listen, package deal. So I got surprised. It's, I got, true. I just got it's to, It know, really
0: know. is. It happens all the time.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, but since this is a post-mortem of season two, we're just going to dive right into the discussion points. So I was doing a little reading last night and I found out that before season one even dropped, Brian Fuller had a pretty strong notion of how season two was going to look. Uh, At Comic-Con 2012, he said, season one is the bromance, season two, the horrible breakup. Ah, And he was sort of burying the lead, you know, because we didn't know how murder husbandy things were going to get at that point. But um, season one was definitely more along the lines of Hannibal flirting with an almost virginal Will Graham. Um, I would posit that Will's killing of Garrett Jacob Hobbs in the first episode was barely the first step onto the road to his becoming. And it was willfully, hey, big pun, trying to kill Hannah. And was, it was willfully trying to kill Hannibal at the end of the season that made Will someone for Hannibal to take seriously. You know, he stopped being a Tinder date at that point and started becoming, you know, maybe a <laughs> keeper, you know. Um, and I think that this show is really about Will's journey. It's not like Hannibal is a different psychopath now than he was at the opening of the series. Um and Will has been through some serious changes. Um, how do you guys see Will's arc specifically in season two? Was he really ready and willing to take the plunge with Hannibal at season's end? Phil had his doubts last episode, and while the rest of us seem convinced, I'd certainly like to give Phil's perspective a little bit more of an airing, a little bit more of an opportunity, because that seems like the big storyline this season. You know, wh- was Will ready to become
3: before we get started we have to explore the will as a virgin um analogy a little (laughs) bit more in detail because are are we saying that will had like messed around a lot up until now and he's not yet gone all the way are we like do we know what base he got to like is he Is he like Is he has he employed some of those like, you know, uh, well, you can you get as long as you're not moving, then it's okay it's not actual. (laughs) I want I to, be like, more I to know more about whatever. Close your this eyes and think of
2: England. So I,
1: I really <laughs> uh, <inquiry laughs> I want the story of, of as long as you're not moving. I yeah. think that's. Yeah. Uh,
2: I want to hear more about this thought
3: process. That's a popular thing in purity culture. Yeah, is, purity is, culture. You know, when purity culture you, kids couldn't have sex until marriage, they came up with all sorts of ways you, of you, Bill Clintoning. You know what yeah. the actual definition of sex, sexual yeah. intercourse yeah. is. Yeah. Wow. So they would say, okay, well, if you're not moving. mm-hmm. Then it's okay. Or just, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I, don't, I mean I'm, that
1: that goes to the whole wedding crash is just the tip, just to see how it feels. Totally. That's mm-hmm. yeah, you that, know, that was oh, exactly, you know, and that was hilarious because that was an apt description of some of my high school experiences. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. Um, but I did. <laughs> I, I did to, say
2: I only got to first base with purity culture itself. So this is all very interesting. Oh, this is for another time, maybe. <laughs>
3: uh, yeah. My whole
1: experience with purity culture is literally this conversation. So that's, you know, that's as far as <laughs> oh, I Oh,
3: Justin. Yeah. Um, I, it feels I like I Will's come out of purity culture and then has now been like exposed to
1: that may not be an inappropriate, culture? you know, extension yeah. of the analogy. Now I did say virginal <laughs> as opposed to virgin. <laughs> By which I just yeah. meant, you know, seemingly completely inexperienced and almost naive about such things. That's yeah. really well, right. And it's um, like if we're correlating virgins.
0: sex with murder, then he was before Garrett Jacob Hobbs, he'd never killed anybody. Yeah, so
1: you know, I, um, yeah, we've said before on this show that orgasms are the little death, right? You know, yeah. that's yeah, we have, a, yeah, very you know, the, yeah, the, 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 the connection between sex and death are not necessarily apt maybe sex and murder not so much but um
2: well they're inextricably linked right yeah sex and death Mm -hmm. sex creates life and you can't have life without death so Mm -hmm. there you go
1: i will say though to jump in a little deeper to what claire was saying about purity culture and how it works here Mm -hmm. it's interesting to note or at least to ask the question has will ever had an empathic episode with a good person? Has he ever had an empathic episode related to the feelings of someone who wasn't a psychopath or wasn't murderous? Hmm. In the show? I haven't seen it. I mean, you know, like you would think that such a thing would at least be useful to determine innocence if nothing else. Do you know what I mean?
3: It's interesting because I was just watching a psychologist or listening to them describe why, people have the, this wrong impression of empaths in terms of like, oh, well, they're, yeah, they're people connected to their feelings and they're, they're, you know, balanced and well, you know, all put together and experience life in a joyful, you know, because they're experiencing all this love and whatever. And he was explaining that it in, in fact, it, empaths become empaths because they generally typically have traumatic childhoods that, you know, where they're having to, um, deal with, a, a person who's a risk to them mm-hmm. all the time. And so they learn to be so attuned to that risk that's coming yeah. about. And I think that that says something very interesting about Will in that. Yeah, he, as an empath, he's, he's not paying attention. The things that aren't risks because that's what you know but it also implies well maybe did he have we don't know anything about his backstory prior to like being an adult do we we don't know how this we came know. about or what like did he have a, a troubled we don't childhood? know will graham's trauma
0: we never really yeah. like as far as i know we never really dive into his i mean he clearly has it He's clearly a survivor of some form of trauma in his past. Um, and yeah, like you're saying, I mean, like, I think like being an empath does definitely have its roots in codependency and like, you know, unhealthy relationships with narcissists. <laughs> um
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is a, um, an audio podcast, Kelly so you have to raise Kelly, your hands. Raise Kelly, hand raise to my hand. Um,
2: And so
0: you know and again, like so it's so again, I mean it's like evidenced even further by his connection to Hannibal um because is that relationship healthy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, he does,
4: he does use his uh, uh, skills to realize that the Jeremy Davies character is innocent. Um, so he's, he uses empathy at murder scenes and then he walks around and he finds out who has the skill set or the you know, mental capacity, who fits the profile. And Jeremy Davies obviously uh, doesn't. And so he does use it to find some innocent people. Or some yeah. people innocent, which
3: is still um, still generated out of like I'm trying to figure out who's the risk in the room. Yeah. But yeah, yes, because he's yeah.
4: not he's not
1: reading no he Jeremy doesn't, Davies character. Yeah. I, I feel is, like I
4: guess what I'm know, saying is he doesn't use his power to read people, he uses his power to read crime scenes.
1: That's true. That's true. So, but it's, it's that's what we see. I I guess the, the point that I'm making though, yeah, is that you know this is a guy who has Maybe most of his adult life, you know, been, you know, if I don't move, it doesn't count. You know what I mean? Because he's rubbed up against murder, not rubbing up against everything. Do you know what I'm saying?
3: Welcome, everybody. I love I'm, how far we're taking so, this analogy. Yeah, I really I mean, do.
1: This
3: is where we're going with
1: this. Um, yes. I'm, a little, I'm a little fascinated by the whole thing, so I might keep bringing yeah. it up. I apologize. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think it's also, I want to I bring this into the space as well, that Will has this incredible empathy, right? And um, it's also mixed with this with the fact that he's also like supernaturally intelligent. So it isn't just that he's got this trauma and is incredibly empathic and feels into people. He's also got like an intellect that's almost beyond his control, (laughs) you know? So I think he gets hooked on like, I want to make things right. I want to utilize this for good. And just ends up gravitating, like everybody here was saying, towards all of these really dark, gnarly places to get to the bottom of it, you know? And that yes, can become yes. obsessive yeah. and it can become, in a way, addictive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, we have said many times he's a Pisces. <laughs> he must be. He, he must, must be. be. <laughs> um, and I think that. By the end of season two, to go back to another part of the question that you were asking. um, It's one of the reasons why I still believe that he was thinking about giving it all up and running away with Hannibal. Because Hannibal, for all of the ways that he's an absolute psychopath who has done terrible, terrible things to so many people, Will included. He's the one person who really... I think really sees Will and really gets him. And Will was running from that in season one. And then in season two, he was like, give it to me.
0: well I think that I think that don't move there's a lot revealed in I mean there's so much revealed obviously in the final moments of the season but in their exchange in their final exchange um, Hannibal is like did you you hope you hoped you could change me the way I changed you and Will is like I already did and so to go to what you're saying about him like writing wrongs and like seeking out justice, yeah. It's like he wants so he it's like he wants so desperately to have it both ways in the end, you know. Totally. And yeah. he can't. Yeah, clearly. Right. Um,
1: there is I don't think Will's wrong about having changed Hannibal either. I no, mean, I, I know that so. I started off the question by saying that Hannibal was pretty much the same psychopath, but Hannibal was so sanguine mm-hmm. about Will trying to kill him earlier, you know, multiple times. Yeah. You know, but here, like the level of hurt and heartbreak in Hannibal mm-hmm. this time when he says, Would you take my life? You know, mm-hmm. and so there is a difference. He is, he is changed. Yeah. Of, that, of that, there is no doubt. Now that well, I, when he about says, why. You
0: would take, he was like, You would take my life. And will says not your life and he says oh so you would take take my my freedom
4: freedom. yeah Yeah. and he's almost
0: more pissed about that
4: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: yeah yeah well and do we do you think as we're talking about it this question just popped into my mind will going with hannibal do you think there was a part of him that thought if i go maybe he won't be the chesapeake ripper anymore yes
4: absolutely
0: and Uh, that will be justice in a way yes Mm
4: -hmm.
0: i think absolutely that's what that's what his temptation was and Mm -hmm. that
2: maybe was what gave way to hannibal being like do you really think you could do that Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and will being like yes bitch
4: (laughs) (laughs) i mean he he hadn't really been the chesapeake ripper for like a little while yeah, that, up it's till true. that point, he'd given it up for a while yeah. and and if if we go back to some of the he conversations just didn't realize it exactly and if we go back to some of the conversations that he hannibal had with the uh, de maurier he was mm-hmm. like i'm getting kind of tired of this like uh maybe something news in order you know there, there was sort retire. of that feel yeah there's a <laughs> well, yeah, kind of feel to those
0: He's talking to Bedelia about being Will, about mm-hmm. stepping yeah. into Will's shoes. Yeah. And like yeah. there
4: is a um, trying
0: think- this person's suit on. And maybe I kind of like this. Maybe may- I yeah. kind of like I,
4: I think I think animals tempted to give up the life to some degree. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that.
2: Well, and I that also not see- what I see
4: to that some degree I, I said to some degree i didn't no, say no. totally
2: <laughs> no, so,
1: completely,
4: no, i'm not but, saying you're yeah. wrong i'm saying yeah. that's not what i see sure,
1: sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> I, we're allowed I,
0: to see things differently. i, 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 <laughs> I mean
4: <laughs> i still think he's a psychopath i, I still think you'll probably talk other people into murdering people you know and, and playing these games but as as the chesapeake ripper um well that persona giving that persona yeah. that's what
1: i'm saying yeah well i mean yeah but the mo might not be different you know mm-hmm. um Hannibal killed a lot of people yeah. not as the Chesapeake yes, Ripper. Yes, he did, yeah. Over the course yeah. of the show. Mm-hmm. And he still ate those motherfuckers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sure. Like, well, so it's not like, you know, I, the Chesapeake Ripper, you know, in its way is a an, an artifice of Hannibal's. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a persona he created. Yeah. It's not himself, though. Right. Yeah, you know? I almost I mean, see the
3: Chesapeake Ripper as just a tool. he's wielding he's yeah the part of the plan that requires this particular um persona um that's what he's using to engage with jack
4: well yeah not even
3: necessarily will directly but yeah
4: well i mean i think what i'm talking about more is like temptation to like as a will is being tempted to do things that outside of his you know, the sort of consists the way he responds to life in general, just like Hannibal is being tempted. And that's what happens when you fall in love with someone. Like you are tempted to look at life in a different way. You are tempted to make, oh, well, I wonder what life would be like if I were to do this and become someone else. And, you know, maybe, maybe change myself a little bit to fit this mold a little better. And, and you see that happening with that temptation. Isn't just with Will, it's with, I see it also with Hannibal. Like would, would Hannibal change? No. Well,
2: no. I think I Hannibal think at the would... drop
4: of any sort of emotional hat that challenges him, he would pull out his murder knife and you know. And there yeah, you go. I, I, think, you know? well, I think Hannibal, <laughs> I think the
1: change for Hannibal would be that he would consider someone besides just himself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? I think that's yeah. the change. Yeah. Um I he think he wanted
0: to build a family. Yeah. And I don't know if Hannibal was feeling those instincts before Will came right. into his life.
1: Right. Yeah. Or at the very least, he was burying them completely you know Um, oh yeah
2: Yeah.
1: but i think that uh i think that their life together would have looked not unlike the last few episodes of the season Mm. you know where you know they were killing people who definitely deserved it like i don't think will feels any remorse for the deaths of carlo and mateo you know, no, no. I don't think he feels like anything wrong has been done. I don't think he feels like a crime has been. Or terminated. about
3: what happens to Mason Verger either. I don't think Mason he regrets. Or, you know, what I think done there,
1: or I think he's starting to see. I think he he now sees murder as a viable. That's what you get. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um And so,
0: it's again, it's his pursuit of justice. Yeah. And yeah, it is a pursuit of justice.
1: Just. Yeah you know, lethal justice or lethal Mm -hmm. protector venom. That's what Mm it is. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Well, and both, both of them are making excuses around their compromise, the compromises that they're making to, you know, meet each other Mm -hmm. um, at a middle perhaps. Um, And I think that's unhealthy for will in particular obviously because you know we we're still at the end of the day talking about a person trying to engage in a relationship with this narcissistic abusive manipulating person um and expecting that you know going back to the idea of will um choosing to go with him in the idea that okay well if i'm with him then he'll stop doing this thing that i want him to stop doing he'll change his behavior for oh, me yeah. It's that's always a, a you know failed proposition because they're not going to change. They're
1: that's yeah. the go-to justification for the abused, you know. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly. And it's yeah. it's again, you know, and I'm I'm was a little bit um, laughing about it before when we were talking about purity culture, but it it is still such a really great analogy where. Uh, And I'm not saying that murder is a contrived like moral um, thing that is imposed on people. That's clearly something that's wrong. I I just want (laughs) to preface my comments, my my comparison by using this analogy, but in purity culture, the idea of assigning, you know, the sinful status to the idea of being a virgin or not a virgin and when sex happens and, and who it happens between um, creates this kind of false, you know, impression of, well, that, and just not educating people obviously about relationships, um, gives people this impression that is just as dangerous where you have one party thinking, okay, well, I have this person asking me, tempting me to do things that are not, I believe are sinful. So the way to resolve that is to step fully into a relationship oh yeah that, mm-hmm. that is permanent and binding and may and is going to to affect me um in a way that you know is absolutely not going to have the intended effect of changing that other person or their behavior if they're abusive about you know anything yeah. consent wow. whatever it might be but mm-hmm. everything
1: you just said made me want to sing paradise by the dashboard light but that's
3: oh <laughs> I don't know what that is.
1: Oh, oh, it's it's Meatloaf's big song. Yeah. Oh, it's it's like the big song from before I would do anything for love from the seventies, and it's oh, that's it's delightful. a song about it's a song about teenagers and love and a guy Eating trying to convince love. a girl to have sex, <laughs> and <laughs> and she it's says, a great "Well,
0: song. go listen to it, Claire. If you I haven't will. heard this song, go listen to it. Go as listen to as recording. It. listeners of this podcast. If you have not heard this song." go and do that do it go and listen to all of that out of hell by the way just listen to the whole album it's fantastic and rest in peace meatloaf um and also what you were saying claire
2: made me want to go re-watch dracula Mm (laughs) That is the archetype and it's the archetype we find in this show too Mm -hmm. sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that the events at the end of this season this you know will sort of dancing with okay I'm going to let him drink my blood. <laughs> and then finding out how that actually went down <laughs> um, and how it goes down is really such a perfect. And I, you know, Phil is not, Phil doesn't know, <laughs> but it sets such a gorgeous stage for what's to come. Mm
1: well speaking of Phil now
2: heartbreak yeah oh sorry please go ahead Justin
1: well only you know we didn't really address this conversation makes me think Phil maybe you have come on board to thinking that will was prepared to run away with Hannibal because you definitely weren't there in our last episode you did not think that will was going to go with Hannibal
4: i I think there's a moment at the end of the episode when Hannibal goes we were waiting for you where will was like Oh, you were actually thinking about taking me with you? Okay, I think at that moment, he, I I don't think up until that moment, he had considered it because I I think Will's big issue is that he can't make up his mind, that he doesn't know what he wants in the end,
1: or uh, until the well, end I until think, it gets I think to that's him. true, but and and mm-hmm.
4: so I don't think in the beginning when they they show the split screen of him and he says yes to both Jack and uh, and Hannibal, yeah. Um, you know, he'll do what he needs to do to try to satisfy both sides. I don't think that's uh, the, the writers leaving us like, oh, what's he going to do? It's like, no, he's going to try to satisfy both sides of this equation if he can. And as Lisa said, that's impossible. It won't work. Uh, so I don't think in his mind, he was planning to run away with Hannibal at that point. But I think when Hannibal says to him, hey, you know, we were waiting for you uh he will literally says you were supposed to be gone i I don't i don't see that as a sort of oh you know i was going to go with you i I was expecting you to be gone so that people would know who you are and you get away and he's one will is really bad at communicating to anybody what he wants because i think if
1: Hannibal knew kind of what will was up to isn't the only reason he thought Hannibal was supposed to be gone was because he called him to warn him
0: yeah Mm-hmm.
2: that's the they, only reason the, Hannibal yeah, was supposed to be the gone FBI was the coming. plan
1: otherwise was for Hannibal to
4: be there to mm-hmm. tell Jack yeah. well I, I think I think that call serves two purposes I think it's the same sort of purpose that Hannibal had when he called uh what's his name at the very beginning like they know like you need to do something you need to act And so you know he takes it into his hands to kill his family. I I, I think that that was well. No, so
0: so Hannibal. I don't think that the intentions were the same on Mm -hmm. both of those phone calls. Hannibal, Hannibal. I think he said, "I wanted to see what would happen." Like when Abigail said, when when Abigail asked him, "Why did you call the house?" he said, "I was curious what would happen." That's not why Will had a very specific intention Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. calling Hannibal. He wanted Hannibal. To run away. Yeah. He wanted to save Hannibal. Mm -hmm. And the
1: FBI was moving in on that. That's (laughs) why
0: when he showed up, he said, You were supposed to leave. Yeah. He wasn't curious what would happen. No,
4: no, no. I I suppose he wasn't curious what would happen, but there's still echoes there. You don't think. I mean, I, I feel like the writers well, knew that. There's the storytelling. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. The st- yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think we're
0: yeah. supposed to see. I think it was intention. Yes. It was, of course, intentionally done. Right. They said the exact same thing. Uh, yeah. But I was
1: about to say that. But I think we were yeah.
0: supposed to see the difference between those two calls. We weren't supposed to see the two calls as being the same. There's, I think we were supposed to see the difference.
4: There's a conversation that Hannibal and Will have before all this starts taking place. And Will says to Hannibal, Jack, like basically knows so like they, they know they're on to us we have to show him what you are like we have to like make that reveal like they're literally having that conversation and so when that's why when will calls him and says yes they definitely know that's why i see it the way i see it because they've already had this conversation leading up to it
1: see that's not the conversation that i heard leading up to it i thought the conversation was they're closing in they're going yeah. to find out yeah you should be the one to tell Jack. And at that point, I mean, for me, this is Will pushing Hannibal into to commit stepping murder. into yeah. the bear trap. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's not, you know, they already know. He's not saying, he's telling him to tell Jack, but he knows that Jack already knows Yeah, because he's working with Jack. You know, so the whole thing comes off as I, Will undercover to me. Uh-huh. Sure, yeah. You know, and, and him calling
0: Hannibal to say they know is Will not being undercover anymore.
1: Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. That is Will being like this. We have to go. You know,
4: I guess I still don't see it as even with that in mind. I still don't see it as Will being like, "All right, time for us to go together." At that
1: point, well, Will the, the, because
0: no, I don't see the call as, I don't see that as the call either. The call mm-hmm. isn't. The question about like, would Will have done it? Like it's basically a, it's a potential, it's a thought experiment.
4: yeah
0: yeah Is there a world, like there's, is there a version of reality? Is there somewhere in the multiverse? mm -hmm. This is exactly what Kelly Sue wrote about in her um, Rick and Morty spec script. (laughs) Is there a place in the multiverse where Will chose Hannibal and ran away with Hannibal?
1: I yeah, would because I, I think I would, there's a part
0: and it's is. just a thought experiment. And what <laughs> yeah. would no, it look I, like? What would it yeah. look like if he had? That's, I, it's yeah. just a thought experiment. Yeah, yeah.
4: I think in that moment when Hannibal says, "We waited for you," if Hannibal hadn't gutted him like a half a second later, I think Ooh. Will would have gone. In that moment, given that option, right then and there, you see it in Will's face. You see it in his performance more than anything. Like I don't need I don't need the writing up until that point to tell me that in Will's face in his performance, there is an acceptance of, oh, you were, you're gonna take me with you right now? Oh my God, this is a, I think he's accepting of it in that moment. And then, but at that well, point, you- it's too far for Hannibal. Will has already tried to manipulate, which, you know, Justin, you, this goes, I don't know if you asked this question later about uh, uh, Hannibal being uh, uh, a hypocrite, um
1: I, I i evolved out of that thought that okay was gotcha I asked at the end gotcha of the, yeah because i like, like any
4: bad that. relationship i mean hannibal's able to do all the shitty things to will but will's not able to do any shitty things to hannibal without getting gutted that
1: that know? wasn't my <laughs> reference to hypocrisy yeah
4: i know yeah, but that's, that, yeah. that's a level of hypocrisy is what i'm sure, saying for sure. you sure. Know? uh because at that point it's broken for hannibal like you know You know, so, no, I you know, obviously... I think it's uh, important also, in
1: that moment, Will has just discovered that Abigail is alive. Sure. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think what Will is willing to do for Hannibal at this point is maybe different than what he was willing to do five minutes before. Sure. And then again, would probably be different than what he would be willing to do if he opened the door to the pantry and saw Jack.
2: So what you're saying is he would be willing to... Basically, what you're saying is (laughs) he would do anything for love, but he won't do that. Yes.
0: Yes. Kelly,
1: I have
2: heard that song.
1: (laughs) I was I was going to segue to another question, but I don't think that I'm ready. (laughs) You know? So I think there is no better place to go take a quick break. (laughs) collect ourselves, you know. Um, Wonderful. All right, we'll be right back after these (laughs) messages. Okay, and we are back. And uh, before Kelly Sue said, stop right there, (laughs) <laughs> I got to know right now. Before we go any further, Philip, um, you're the resident noob. You're the one who's doing all this for the first time. Mm-hmm. We hyped the show up a lot coming into this show, you know, and I think that's how we convinced you to do it. Um, Lisa went so far as to describe the season two finale as her favorite episode of television ever. Is it living up to the hype? Are you feeling it? Like, are there ways in which it exceeded your expectations? Ways in which it felt failed to meet your expectations? I oh, there are so many ways in which it exceeded
4: my expectations. I didn't I didn't know it was going to be genre jumping as much as it was. I didn't like. There's a there's a lot of amazing storytelling things going on in this. The constant reference to like the references to Shiva God and all these things. It's uh, very heady esoteric stuff, which I Really dig. Um the uh, I, I can like especially with season two, since we're kind of talking about season two, uh I can see why they had the the sort of flash forward at the beginning of the season. Because the change gears mid-mid season, like to basically end a storyline and start a new storyline mid-season, it's hard to get gather that momentum right away. You need a few episodes to kind of build that back up again. And so having a flash forward at the beginning keeps people invested so that they can get through maybe the more, because uh, I found a few episodes in the middle of the season to be like, okay, all right, you know, we're going, I'm still here, but it wasn't as, uh, uh, but yeah, they had to rebuild a little bit. So having that flash forward obviously kind of helps. It's like a nice little bandaid over something like that, that, you know, for the people that don't trust what the writers are doing or what, you know, Brian Fuller doing, then you have that to get you through um so that i mean that's smart writing that's something you decide to do uh to kind of keep people pulled along so you know i'm uh i'm not being let down by anything that's happened or i'm not uh underwhelmed by anything so far thus far i think i would agree and concur that maybe my least favorite episode or the one that doesn't fit the series that as a whole so far is the one with the kids. Uh but they cut that they cut that episode from the season anyway. <laughs> like like right, you know, yeah. so like we're watching it because it's available now in context and in you know, so every decision they've made has been a good decision, you know. Uh yeah, yeah.
1: Interestingly, just because you brought that up, as I was doing research for this, uh Mads Mickelson weighed in on that episode mm-hmm. and was shocked and was not necessarily on board with cutting it interesting um but i mean he i mean he understood but he basically Mm -hmm. said look he said if we cut everything that offends american viewers we'll never air anything yeah you know and he wasn't wrong
0: well and it's i i was also gonna say in regards to that episode um (laughs) that there's some kind of there is like i mean you can technically cut the stuff that's happening between Hannibal and Abigail from that episode but it's also like maybe not a good idea to cut what's happening with Abigail in that episode that's the psilocybin tea Mm -hmm. psilocybin tea Mm. episode right there's another visual of the breaking of the teacup that Um, you know keeps kind of the through line of the teacup going um
4: there's some great stuff and I mean and I
0: agree with Mads that like um, that, yeah sometimes these things need to be seen and they need to these stories need to be told, and we need to not just, you know, th- push them under the rug. Um, because there are there are conversations to be had around this and around that episode mm-hmm. that are worth having so i'm kind of with matt's
1: and comment. let's i mean in my personal opinion americans don't get traumatized by things like that mm. you know <laughs> that the outrage no. the it, outrage that comes up is often faux outrage you know yeah. it's, it's honestly performative the, outrage you know the part They're that i saying. would imagine
3: mm-hmm. the american audience to be you know to object having you know objection to would be the relationship between Hannibal and Will, right? 100%. Like any any hint yeah. of like that sexualized oh, yeah. Um, idea. It, yeah, mm-hmm. it's that's much more censored in American, you know, for the American audiences than violence. Yeah, generally is. No matter and who's Once involved. again,
2: aren't the American audiences missing out? <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> come on,
2: come on.
1: <laughs> well, everyone else, you know those of us who've watched all this before, um, is this viewing as satisfying as previous viewings? Yes. And how is doing the podcast (laughs) affected the way you see the series?
0: It's made me love it even more. Yeah, same. It's like um, to kind of share share the viewing experience with y'all and like hear the kind of ways everyone else sees it just really reinforces the fact that it's probably my favorite TV show of all time, because it's like, because it's, it's so rich, it's like, there's just so much in it, Mm -hmm. that yes, it rewards repeat viewings, because you can see something different. Yes, it rewards these kinds of like discussions that we have, because everyone else can see something different in it. And so I'm already excited for the next time I watch it to have all of your insights in my mm-hmm. head as I go through it again. You know what I mean? So yes,
2: yes. Yeah,
3: exactly that. Going back to you know the discussion we were just having about what Will's intentions are, are or are not or what he's thinking and what he's, you know, at the end of season two, I will, every time I watch the show, I have different ideas from episode to episode about, where Will's head is and who's thinking what and it it is like lisa said so completely rich with complexity mm-hmm. and not just not just storytelling complexity because you know there are those obviously there are those shows that are very intellectually complex that forget to put the emotional complexity mm-hmm. in there with it and that becomes very tiring after a while um, but this West world, yeah, this has, <laughs> I wasn't going to name names, but okay. well, <laughs> oh, I'll name names in this instance. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's every time I watch the show, I have a different new experience of it and I re-question things and exactly having, you know, having other people's perspectives on it. It just gives me that much more to you know, question. <laughs> I'm not taking anything you guys say at face value. I'm just going to question it the next time I watch it. <laughs>
1: that's where I ended up. I guess that was a softball question because that's certainly a, you guys are certainly saying everything that I feel like. Yeah. I do look forward to rewatching it with, you know, your with with you know, purity culture metaphors, you know, rumbling yeah. around in my head. You know, it'll be an interesting thing to watch Will's progress uh, with that context.
3: See, the teacup even is an analogy for virginity. Can you break the teacup and put it back together? Can oh you? Oh my god! Br- it can just you keeps stop going. being a virgin and not like it? It's a false it's analogy. Purity like, rings it, all the way down, <laughs> all the way down.
1: It it really works, you know, surprisingly yep. yeah. well. If you,
0: um, know, you shake the
3: Hannibal tree, and you're going to get purity. <laughs> I have not spent Ever my been. life obsessed with sexual like uh, purity culture issues at all. Like you can't tell that at all. No, <laughs> no way. No, I'm fine. You seem really good. integrated about it all. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Good.
1: <laughs> so, this to follow up on Phil's, you know, being new to the show.
3: Yeah.
1: I think it's fair to look ahead now. Um, certainly. Seasons one and two followed a certain formula. There were monster of the week episodes, so to speak. You know, those are gone forever now because there is no more Will and Hannibal in therapy. There is no more Will and Hannibal at the crime scene, you know, trading poetic barbs about who the killer might be. (laughs) Um, There's no more consulting on Jack's cases at least in the way they have so far, and most likely, certainly at least to start, we'll probably get less Will and Hannibal together. Do you think the show can be just as good without that dynamic pervading the show? Yes. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I like shows that don't settle, then that continue to change. I think a lot of shows, too. a lot of shows, become very comfortable. And so you see the same thing season after season. And that's when I think a show gets kind of loses its way to a large degree. So I mean, if, if the, the, they are challenging themselves as creators, but they're also taking us on a much more expansive journey than just you know watching the same thing every week. So yeah, I'm, I totally think it, it can be just as good. It, it'll be different maybe, but just as good can be. I
1: definitely approached this upon my first watch with a fear. Mm-hmm. Because I, well, we're not going to be dancing with the girl that brung you anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, because Will and Hannibal, you know, their relationship is the axle on which the wheel of the show turns, you know, Mm
3: -hmm. and if they're
1: not interacting as much, or in the same ways, you know, I asked myself, is this going to be as good I wonder if it can be as good that was a a really valid concern
3: yeah but Um, they're not they're not on screen together but I would argue that they're not interacting with each other any less
1: well I will have to say I've only seen the third season the one time yeah when it originally aired so this is I've got quite a bit of distance from it now so my memories of it are not as clear as they were of seasons one and
3: two excellent
0: Oh this will be yeah. fun
3: <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be fun you know i think some of my favorite works of fiction are the ones that go where they should go in spite of it that that journey requiring that they change very dramatically and i think that's what I think that's the science fiction part of the show in a way because science fiction sometimes dictates that you you have to really expand and move oh <laughs> the expanse see <laughs> the pun and because I was just getting ready to talk about the expanse in in the books the the final tri- you know triplet or trilogy of books in that series pushes the story forward pretty dramatically in terms of time and. I think tone and like who the players are, et cetera, et cetera. But that's where the story should go. That The story itself says, okay, we've got to push forward and look at what this is 30 years down the road. Um, there's a book by uh, Neil Stevenson called Seven Eves that I've talked about on here that be- between the first and the second half of the show, there's a 4,000 year leap, right? Like, and it is a different book at the end of the book. It could be two two books, but it's not. And there's a reason for that. Um, the television series Fringe, I think, to not be too spoilery for those people on our pod, podcast panel who should be watching Fringe, but are not necessarily as much as they, I mean, I'm not upset that they're watching Justified right now because that's also good, but they should be watching Fringe. Um, it's that, hard
1: when your wife is not into something.
3: I know. I know. Um, Wives, am I right? Yeah, boy. <laughs> um, it That's another show that takes a big risk at a point in its story where it changes up what the show is. It does it a couple of times, I would argue. But it's because that's where the story needs it to go. And I think Hannibal does that as well. It leaves the procedural format. I can't imagine them sticking with that format and trying to force that format onto the story that we're being given and i mm-hmm. would i would hate Yeah, i think i would hate it
0: yeah yeah and it's like i mean like phil was saying earlier that it's it's a genre jumping show anyway
1: yeah so yeah. it
0: doesn't like you know at this point we've come to expect the unexpected so right. um you know i I remember going into the third season when it was airing, just excited. I didn't have any fears or reservations. (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm so excited to see what's next. I'm so excited to see like where everything's landed and how we're going to like go from here. Cause I was, I, cause I trust, I I trusted the storytelling completely at this point.
3: Now I'm thinking that the first season and the procedural nature of that season is Will and Hannibal going on formal dates. They went mm-hmm. out for coffee, they yeah. had mm-hmm. dinner, they went to a movie, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And now they're at the point where dating doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. It's just, You're yeah, that's not part of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: saw a tweet the other day that said a crush is just a lack of information
0: <laughs> oh man, and that is accurate. It rang true for uh-huh. me wow. in my personal life. Uh huh. And think that, that's a. I think that's true for for everybody's personal life. Yeah, I yeah.
2: think so. But think where Will is, Will is heading into season three with all the
3: information. Yeah. Almost all the information. Almost all the information. <laughs> yeah. He's getting there.
2: And I also think it's a huge credit. Um to the show and going into, you know, the final third, a huge credit to, again, Brian Fuller and all of these storytellers, because to tell a story like this and to create that level of trust in with your audience, where we're really like, okay, let's go. We're down for whatever it is. And I know it's gonna be amazing is not easy. <laughs> That is not something that's just built into storytelling. And while I'm not, you know, prolific necessarily, Lisa and I tell a long form story, and it is something that we're in consideration of all the time. You are, you tell a long form story, Justin. It's like, Indeed I do? You know,
0: it's always you in the back know? there. It's always, always. churning. Always. And just how going
2: do along. you tell this long story? And then another, another reason why this show is such a masterclass in storytelling is that in every single season, um, there are so many unanswered questions. They're not plot holes. It isn't something that you're like, hey, wait, that doesn't make sense. But it's like the unfolding story feels so real because you're not given all of the things. It's not like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to rip the mask off and now here's the bad guy and everything makes sense. You know, it's complicated and nuanced. And at the same time, it all unfolds so beautifully to the point that we can be along for the ride when the ride Mm -hmm. includes Colombian fucking neckties. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
3: In spite of you know the fact what I'm saying? yeah, in spite of the fact that this is all so completely hyper-realistic, right? Yes. Like just completely out there, it feels real and honest and true mm-hmm. to the audience because they 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 trust us. And then how many times in your relationships has anybody ever shown up and said, ah, here's the answer. Here's yeah, the let me, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah.
0: like exactly. I would say if this show has a genre, it's magical realism. 100%. It
1: is. Agreed. Absolutely yeah. Yeah. 100% for sure. Yes.
3: Yeah. Agreed. So, is that what Twin Peaks has as well? Oh, you have no.
4: Uh, idea. Ye- it <laughs> is. I, feel I almost
3: like... sent you guys all the pictures
2: I have of me and my nerdy Twin Peaks fandom.
3: The <laughs> moosh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we need yeah, those so. uh, sooner mm-hmm. than later, please. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well. I think that is a satisfying end <laughs> to the autopsy. Um, nice. Normally, at this point in the show, um, we would be moving to one of our co hosts to discuss the exquisite corpse of the episode we had just seen. Um, and I thought, since this was a season two postmortem, maybe you guys might want to share what your favorite exquisite corpse was of the season.
3: <laughs> Claire <laughs> wants to Claire everybody. Claire oh, there we go. She
1: is, she is doing a happy dance.
3: <laughs> no, just hands down, and it's one of my favorite episodes of the season. Just for the, by virtue of just the the whimsical nature of it can i call something in hannibal sure. whimsical absolutely it, it's the the beehive mm-hmm. god dude and just that whole storyline mm. is charm as charming as anything can be in terms it, it, of it, the it is charming
1: as killings can be they are <laughs> yeah they are the most merciful killings in the show you know
3: yes um but i just the the visual of that um the analogy of it's it's similar in ways to the exquisite corpse scene with the um the mushrooms right where (laughs) death is interacting with life and with nature in a way that is just yeah and i just love the way they film it the way you kind of follow the bee Mm. in through the back of it and then you realize what you're going through and just like i think they took some amazing like visual um uh leaps in that episode that they didn't normally do for mm. you know I feel like somebody like the showrunner or somebody was like extra excited about this particular scene that we were going to be given and is like, oh let's just we're gonna milk this for all it's worth. Um yeah I love it. And I like honey. So mm-hmm. delicious. <laughs> If I were going to eat at any of the corpses, any of the bodies in this show, it would be that one because there's honey there involved. I mean, it wasn't cured correctly, so it's probably not. Yeah, but still, I, that's just things I think about. Nice.
1: All righty. Probably shouldn't have gone that, that was far. With more it. exquisite than I anticipated. <laughs> um, uh, Philip, what about yeah. you? You got a favorite?
4: Um, I think. Uh, I, i'm of two minds i think as far as an emotional sort of upheaval goes on the storytelling level beverly cats was like i think that one, like on an emotional level hit the hardest i do think the um uh exquisite corpse with uh, uh the man beast what's his name i think randall randall Tier. Randall Pier, randall tier thank you yeah I, th- I think their head Tier. yeah
1: Tier.
4: yeah i think yeah, there's a a lot of storytelling stuff going on in that which i liked a lot it just in that one sequence of events was pretty pretty stellar as far as storytelling goes there is one thing that i want to this is the only place i can think of to fit this in because i was struggling to figure out any sort of uh for the for the table that that he that hannibal eats at and feeds at all the flowers and kelly sue brought it up i think in the last two episodes like all the flowers and like whatever the hell that means and all these things and in the final, in the last episode, there's a shot of the camera going over the top of the table, and it looks like uh, a coffin. And
2: mm-hmm. it's it's
4: wooden. It's this hard sort of wood surface. Uh, there are flowers on there. It's like a gravesite, like where you leave flowers at a gravesite. This is where Hannibal puts people to rest like you know this is where he does that and I, I think interesting I, I think it finally finally settled to me like why are they set dressing this thing like this all the time I think it's because it's a f- constant funerals like this is where he uh, gives you know these people their due by tasting them by eating them becoming a part of them and and we get all those great dishes this season too, but that are about death and and chasing and things like that. So that's
1: a cool goddamn insight. Yeah. So
4: yeah, that that struck me, um, and it wouldn't have if the director hadn't gotten that shot of the table that made it look like a mm-hmm. coffin. Um, so awesome. anyway, yeah. Yeah. Lisa.
0: Um, I am going to go with the first exquisite corpse, the muralist's mm. God's eye. Um. I I mean, it's just the experience of seeing that for the first time, and every time since is just like, holy shit. But I also loved like, I loved all the different interpretations of it. I loved, um, I loved everything around it, like the kind of the lure, and that kind of like Renaissance kind of style that it ended up having um and yeah i just um that's the one that because that was so artistic (laughs) have you ever tried to draw that or do you
3: do you i know you do you draw you know like fandom kinds of things but is that something that like piques your artistic interest and like oh i would like to try to recreate that in some there are times i mean like so um
0: there are things like that, that I always really appreciate, like the works of Bosch. And mm. um, I, it's like, though now I'm blanking on the other names of that ilk. That Art History those, 101. <laughs> yeah, I know that like painted those kinds of things where it's like these scenes of all of these bodies um, in this weird kind of like dance macabre, Mm-hmm. that um, that that definitely kind of like goes to that stuff. It goes to that work for me. Like I see the connection um, and I always like, I mean, the kind of work that I do is it tends to be character focused. It's not just fandom stuff, but it's like mm-hmm. when I do like art, art, it tends to be like character or like, archetype focused um and not so much about these big huge scenes like that but um i i'm inspired by those big huge scenes like that mm-hmm.
1: Kelly sue got a favorite dead body
2: um i have a favorite almost dead body
1: <laughs> okay
2: um if this doesn't count as an exquisite corpse and so many of the other corpses that have been discussed so far would probably have been some of my favorites. Like the Beverly Cats visuals were insane, the, the b the bee man's bee men, fantastic. The mural is amazing. Um, but I think my favorite, almost exquisite corpse, um, is Hannibal Strung Up by Jonathan Tucker. Ah.
0: The visuals (laughs)
2: of that entire Uh situation. I'm like, I don't know how you found like this weird Art Deco corner, like metropolis looking corner of (laughs) whatever gym you're in. Yeah. And where you would have (laughs) found this like depression era (laughs) pale for him to stand on. Like there were so many. (laughs) <laughs> I have so many questions about how that happened, how he did that, the hows and the whys. Um, you know, obviously, Mads Mickelson being stripped to his skivvies, soaking wet, and just hanging beautifully. Right? Obviously, there's the Jesus symbolism. Um, Much symbolism that whole experience was one of my favorite.
3: I think one of my favorite moments from this season. We've seen Hannibal tied up a couple of times now and like hanging from things. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of, he's always so relaxed. I'm going to call him relaxed in that scene necessarily because he is almost, you know, strangling, but still he he is very much in control. And I, I don't, I wonder if there isn't just a very small part of Hannibal that doesn't enjoy being tied up like my God, a, like totally submissive, yeah.
0: uh-huh.
2: just
3: like it's a moment. Ooh, I'm shoulder be, like, shimmying again. I am yeah. now going to. I'm going to just just take the role of submissive for a little while. Oh and yeah, oh yeah. I'm so, surprised nobody I, has mentioned the horse thing in this. I mean, I'm shocked, shocked that that's not somebody's favorite visual. Can't <laughs> listen. We shocking. had a lot of options,
0: and we were asked to choose one. Not yeah. at all. And,
1: You know, it is I have not yet given my favorite. Oh, hey, I
3: just by there,
1: there goes Claire trying to clear me. Sorry. But that was not my favorite. Okay. My favorite exquisite corpse of the season was the judge. The top <gasps> yeah. of his head removed, scales of justice with his brain oh. and his heart on them. Just you know, like not even pretending to be a metaphor. Just like, you know, This, this is what this is, you know, and it had, it harkened back to Silence of the Lambs in a really cool way. Um, It didn't hurt that it was an episode with my favorite cheese dick, you know, Aaron Wright, Sean Doyle. Um, But I I just love that visual so much. I just thought it was, because it was also such a pissy you know yeah. like it really was Hannibal like being like fuck you man you know like that was that was a fuck you murder tableau and I was there for it you know it was it was it was really kind of petulant almost and yes. I, I, I I liked that you know because even his petulance is like you know super refined and arty and just awesome so that was that was my favorite so this is good stuff season two of Hannibal is an exceptional season of television Mm -hmm. with an exceptional ending and you know it just i think we can all agree that this has been a really delightful viewing experience um before we go before we toddle off into the sunset uh claire has been teasing to us off mic what her recommendation was going to be She sort of suggested it could be this one thing. It could be something else. You'll just have to wait. The wait is over, Claire.
3: That was only because I didn't actually have, I hadn't made up my mind at all until probably about 15 minutes ago. And this conversation that we have just had has now completely dictated what my choice is going to be. Um, And it's not something I even mentioned before. So ha, you all are surprised, there you go. Um, I have just started watching them about, I'm halfway through actually, um, a British series called Pure, which was originally aired on Channel Four. <laughs> it is, and you know why the conversation has led me there. But it, you, I haven't even described the show yet. So yeah, it's getting better. Um, it's six just six episodes. That, <laughs> yeah, six episodes that aired originally on Channel Four um, in the UK. Um, it is available now on HBO Max, um, and it is about a. Um, young woman in her early twenties who suffers from extremely intrusive sexual thoughts to like the extent that like being on a bus is just sitting quietly by herself on a bus is very difficult because of what she sees and thinks Mm. about and interactions with other people. Um, and it's very delightfully, um, I, the extras on this show got, this is like the best job for extras ever because it's just every single extra has to get naked yeah it's it's very interesting she is very engaging and um i just and i think it mirrors very well with hannibal in terms of like what we we're talking about will and whether or not he can control this you know this empathic thing that he does and in seeing a crime scene is that you know is that helpful or harmful to him? Can he control that or not? Um, so part of the show is her trying to figure out what what is causing this, what her particular mental um, illness might be and learning how to address that. Um, but also with lots of boobs and things, other things. Right, because yeah, so pure. Love it.
1: All right, uh, that is the perfect recommendation for this episode of Animal, or, or of Murder Husbands rather which is by far the horniest episode of Murder Husbands thus far so you know,
3: oh, you know Ravenstag, horny um,
1: anyway if you enjoyed this conversation please be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen new episodes of Murder Husbands release every Tuesday where next week we'll be diving into the first episode of season 3 Our other ongoing show, that episode was, in which we've discussed why The Last Man and the sixth season of The Expanse uh, is currently on hiatus, but we may have another one coming up soon. Um, And if you wish to be informed as to when that might happen, uh, consider signing up for our newsletter at popsiclepod.com, where we will keep you up to date with all the upcoming and ongoing podcast and related info eventually.
3: Definitely Um, announce it there, if not first, at least second or third.
1: You can also always help us by subscribing, sharing and leaving a nice comment anywhere on our social media platforms where you can follow us at Popsicle Pod. That's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. And until season three, bon appetit. This has been a Popsicle podcast production.